This episode of the Retro Network Time Machine with Jason and Mickey is brought to you by Retro Days. Sign up now for your free profile at retro-daze.org. From there, you can visit the forum or contribute articles which earn points towards fun prizes in the Retro Days Point Store. Click over from today's show notes and begin the fun at Retro Days. And by fun.com, the best place on the web to find officially licensed gifts, costumes, toys, and more. Fun.com also offers a variety of exclusive products they make themselves and you won't find anywhere else. Search great brands like Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Care Bears, and many more. Click the Fun.com link in today's show notes to shop the latest products and also save 10% site-wide through August 7th, 2021. Your savings is automatically deducted in your cart, so just click and shop. Fun.com, your go-to destination for exciting and unique gifts. The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Your vehicle to the past doesn't need roads or even 1.21 gigawatts. It's the Retro Network Time Machine with Jason and Mickey! The Retro Network Time Machine is here once again ready to travel back to our pop culture past. You've got Jason here. Uh, Mickey is still gloating from his big win on Quiz Show last week <laughs> and uh, decided to take the week off and gloat a little bit. No, he's uh, had some family business to take care of, and uh, hopefully he will be back uh, next week. In the meantime, I've got uh, another time-traveling partner with me. Old School Tim is back as my co-pilot. Hi, Tim. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? All right, I'm just hoping to do Mickey proud again. <laughs> well, we uh, we had fun last time. Tim and I traveled back to 1985, and uh, we remembered the MTV Video Music Awards and the after show. That was uh, really fun to kind of go through and uh, spark some of those memories. And uh, Tim was also with me on Bracket Madness recently, talking uh, the best action TV shows. That's always a good time. Of course, yeah, I love doing those. Yeah, it was uh, it was great, and uh, we're gonna have a fun topic this week. I'm we're gonna try to uh, get some of those cobwebs removed from our brains and <laughs> <laughs> see if we can uh, find some old memories. We'll talk about uh, in the topic of music this week again. But uh, I wanted to pass along a quick programming note to everybody. Uh, Mickey and I are very excited to announce that we've got a new weekly podcast joining the network. A very Brady podcast hosted by Tack and Jimmy. And uh, they're reviewing the Brady Bunch episode by episode. Oh, God, it's been years since I watched an episode, Tim. Were you a fan of the Brady Bunch growing up? Yeah, it was one of those shows where... I didn't realize when it actually aired originally, but it was on in syndication and watched it daily. I think it was on after school or something mm -hmm. like that. And, and I've probably watched every episode countless times <laughs> and, and one of my favorites for sure. I remember basically that same situation where it was on in reruns as we called it back in the day. And <laughs> it was, I think in a block in the afternoon as well. And, would catch an episode here and there, but I haven't been a, a Brady completist by any means and gone through the entire series and movies and 
even animated series. I didn't realize they had an animated series for a while. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this is a really fun podcast. A verybradypodcast.com is their home base. And uh, you can also go over to the retronetwork.com slash podcasts and find it there and subscribe from there. But uh, just as a fun way to welcome them to the network, we are going to sponsor a giveaway, which is the 50th anniversary box set, which is the complete series and movies and the even the animated series, like I mentioned, that's all in one. You just have to listen to the show, listen to a very Brady podcast to get those details in the uh, coming weeks and how to enter. But uh, we are so excited to have another uh, show joining the network. And uh, with them joining the network, they typically release their shows on Tuesdays. So we are going to jump back a day with the time machine and start releasing our show on Mondays. So that will be probably be with our next episode. Uh, as I'm uh, going to be out of town this weekend, won't have time to prep and get the show ready to post up on uh, Memorial Day. But uh, the following week, I think we're going to start on Monday. So you'll get Mickey and I to start your week of retro podcasts. How about that? So I know you listened online, Tim. You're not, uh, you don't have a, uh, an app you listen to. And uh, I mean, that's, that's great as well that we have listeners that uh, just go out to our website and listen to. Yeah, that's um, how I listen to most of my podcasts. I'm old school, as I, I often <laughs> am called, but I... Uh, I still, whatever works, I kind of get in a routine and that's how I do it. Yeah. So most of the ones I listen to, I, I pull that feed right off the web page. If I'm, because most times I'm listening to them at work someplace mm-hmm. where I have a computer right, sitting right there. So yes. And you're very faithful to leave comments too, which is I'm grateful for. <laughs> <laughs> we get some comments over there as well on the, on the podcasts. So appreciate you doing that. But yes, make sure you check out a very Brady podcast this week and uh, follow along with them. I think they're in season three. They're just about finishing up season three and we'll do that sometime in June. And then they're on to uh, season four and season five. And then uh, who knows what will be after that. They've uh, already told us some ideas that they've had about uh, doing some other shows after that, but very uh, glad to welcome them on board with the retro network and our little retro podcasting family. So let's go ahead and get into the time machine. Uh, this week, we are going to go chronologically through the years. Not any, well, I mean, we'll stay in some specific years for a while, but uh, we're going to do what I call the evolution of music. And now I'm not talking about the viral YouTube video <laughs> with the guy in the orange shirt that does all the dancing, you know. I think that was the evolution of dance, which is entertaining. <laughs> But no, we're going to go back to our childhood, our, our teenage years, our high school years, college, up through what I'm going to call the, like the digital era, and just talk about how music has evolved specifically for us. And you know, this isn't necessarily about our personal tastes in music, like you know, if we like country or rock or whatever, or specific bands. We're going to do that more in after hours this week. But um, you know, we've encountered and consumed music over the years in different ways. And we're going to try to challenge our brain a little bit to see how we experience the evolution of like eight tracks and records through cassettes, through CDs, through MP3s and what, you know, what equipment we use, what we collect and how we bought our music back in the day, that kind of thing. And uh, just go through the years and talk about music as a format versus, uh, you know, what our favorite bands were and stuff. I'm sure that will come in at some point and we'll, 
we're going to talk about like what was our first album and, and, and things like that as well. But it should be a fun journey. So, uh, Tim, if you're ready. I'm ready. Let's strap in and head back to the past. All right, so here we are back in our uh, childhood years, we'll say. And do you remember, Tim, like when you first encountered music as a just a thing? You know, uh, maybe it was in your uh, car, you listen, your parents listening to music, or you had a home stereo, something like that. And you remember, you know, watching your parents put records on or eight tracks in or something. <laughs> you remember like when you have any early memories of encountering music? I don't have like a specific memory of like, here's the first time that it kind of hit me because it was always kind of there. Um, mm-hmm. And my parents kind of listened to, uh, they loved like 50s and 60s rock was kind of what they liked, but their record collection, they they did have some of that. I remember the Beatles specifically and, and hearing that and, and having that. But then they, they had a lot of, records from you know more of the 70s and that sort of thing so a lot of like 70s soft rock and like the bgs and um <laughs> i remember uh, tony orlando was one that they had that i know <laughs> i loved some of that kind of stuff so that i think influenced some of my musical tastes early on one big thing that that i clearly remember though is christmas music so at the holidays i always remember Mm. christmas music and they had certain christmas records that we played and listened to so that's probably some of my earliest memories of their music and uh Uh listening to that how about you yeah i i'm thinking probably recognized it more in the car you remember when car radios had those like long silver buttons that were your presets? You know, yep. I remember playing with those <laughs> as a kid, and my dad getting mad at me. You know, stop <laughs> messing around. You, you're gonna screw up the stations. You know, the presets. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, I, I guess, that's uh, like an earlier memory. And we did have a home stereo. It was a piece of furniture. Let me tell you, it was made of wood, <laughs> and. Uh, it was all black, and it had, like, the red coverings over the two speakers that were inside. Nice. And it had a lid that flipped up. You know, you couldn't set anything on top of it because the lid flipped up. And it had, let's see, it had a turntable. It had a radio, an eight-track player. I think that was it. And, you know, it was like it was like opening a car hood almost. It had those hinges. <laughs> and, you know, it was one of those that had that uh, this little stacker. So I remember mom would drop records or, or it, she would put stack records on top and it mm-hmm. would drop them down and had like an automatic uh, yeah, motion. When it got to the end of one, right. the next one would pop down. Yeah, it would come back. It would drop the next one down. So she would put a bunch in there. And she had – my mom was always uh, the single person, like 45s and singles. That's where I got all that from. Mm-hmm. And I remember this little rectangular piece that fit down over the middle – to stack up the 45s and she would just put a bunch of those on and, and I'd watch that little mechanism go in that uh, stereo. It didn't have much storage in there. So it had to slot for maybe like 10 albums. So our music was like stashed nearby in an end table that was a cabinet. And I remember going over to there to, you know, pull records out and play and, and that sort of thing. 
do you remember any like little toy like cassette players or anything you had as a kid? Little turntables and stuff, you know, like the play skull and anything. Did you have anything like that? I don't think we had one of those. I know what you're talking about. I think mm-hmm. I, I remember um, people, other people having them, but I don't think I had one that was uh, one of those. Uh-huh. A lot of times we had musical instruments and things like that that we played, and we would always do a lot of pretending we were singing and Uh performing songs and stuff like that but didn't have one of those toy ones necessarily last year when we did the sears catalog episode i remember seeing this toy train in there that played these small plastic records that i had as a kid and it was like braille almost on the records and had those like raised bumps on there so you stuck it in the train and it recognized and played a tune based on the bumps on the records and (laughs) It was motorized and would go along. So I had a, probably a couple of musical toys like that. I don't remember specifically having a, the little play school turntable. My wife likes to tell the story of her sister sitting on that one that she had and uh, broke the record. I think, it, uh, I think it was Build Me Up Buttercup or something. <laughs> and every time the song, and her dad loved uh, like 50s and 60s music. So anytime that song came on the radio or whatever she would just kind of you get mad at her sister all over again but yeah I, n- I never had something like that what about like book and record sets as a kid do you remember having any of those that you would listen to yeah the biggest my first memory so kind of similar to you getting to see the record player work and that type of thing and learning how to use that but then star wars for me was a big mm-hmm. thing so when star wars came out that was before you had access to like watch it at home or anything like that, but they sold some of like books and then they sold the record. And I remember seeing that you had found those records um, recently where it actually have the movie where you could listen to the entire movie on a record. Yeah. So I had that record. I had some books with the records. Like I still have a couple of those like from, um, from that time one of my first 45 records was the star Wars theme cantina band (laughs) disco 45. That was one of my first records I had, but (laughs) those books slash like listening to that, I remember having like, um, we had how the Grinch stole Christmas, which was Uh like the the book. And then it had the record where you got to hear Boris Karloff do the voices (laughs) and all that stuff. So you could Uh listen to the record while you were reading the book and stuff like that. So yeah, books and records and that type of thing was was really cool at that time because you had limited access to that stuff so when you actually could hear the movie on and hear those voices yeah. again and stuff that was awesome <laughs> yeah i was uh it kind of came up when i was talking to kevin over on the hot tag on the house show but yeah i mean you didn't you didn't have access to home video or at least i didn't when i was <laughs> real young and so like the book and record sets, the Viewmaster reels, mm-hmm. uh, things like that were how you essentially experienced the movie again, unless it would come yeah. back to your you know, local theater or drive-in or something. Or even um, the novelization of it or something like or, that yeah, at some point, was, or a comic book version of it. Those that's right, of that's right. Yeah. So there was, you had to find different ways to experience the movie again. So I do remember I had a, uh, a He-Man book and record set and a Scooby-Doo one. 
and I, I you know I remember listening to them and uh, sitting by the stereo kind of playing out the stories in my head thinking about the cartoons you know and just in the last I don't know maybe about year I've gone back and tried to collect some of those I can't remember specifically which ones from He-Man and Scooby-Doo that I had but I've started collecting those again I didn't realize they actually made comic book and record sets so you have a full like comic book story and you plug in the record and you can read <laughs> read along with it um and I I like doing that now and listening to those well of course I have a seven-year-old in the house that I can share it with and she can somewhat understand what's going on. But uh, hearing the performances too of the people that they hired, you know, the, the voice actors and stuff, I get a kick out of as well because they don't always bring back the original people to perform, you know, now exactly. star Wars was an exception. The, uh, the story album, they had all of the people come back and, and do performances. You know, it was a shortened, version of the movie but right you could still hear uh c3po and luke and han and it was all of the you know the actors that were in the movie anthony daniels and mark hamill and harrison ford so not all not all records were like that and you had <laughs> one person performing all of the parts and i don't know some of them are, are better than others but i still like uh, collecting them now just to think about this era when you didn't have that instant access to movies, you know? Exactly. So, uh, moving along, you mentioned a little bit about what your parents listened to the Beatles and such. Did they have a big collection of music? I wouldn't call it a big collection, but they did have a record vinyl collection of, of music. And, uh, there were certain ones that, you know, I kind of mm-hmm. had as my favorites and that sort of thing. But, like I said, it did kind of expose me to a variety of different types of music at that point in time and um, and that sort of thing. So yeah. my parents were, you know, more into just pop music, whatever was popular. It didn't matter if it was country or disco or rock or whatever. Mom, she was all over the place with uh, the 45s that she would buy. Dad, I don't remember owning many albums or music really in general. I remember having this 45 of the song Dead Skunk in the Middle of the Road. That was his favorite <laughs> for some reason. And he would make me play it, you know, as I'm in there playing the songs. And I don't know. He always got a play kick out of it. the Dead Skunk song. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and Elvira, you know, the, oh, the yeah, Oak Ridge Boys. We had yeah. that 45. I had to play those two when I was in there, you know, being the DJ. But you know, most of my musical taste came from mom and she we had a few eight tracks i don't remember i'm sure they had eight track players in their vehicles at at one point but i don't specifically remember anything until cassettes came along and then we were putting some cassettes in the car and, and that sort of thing but yeah it was just all about the 45s you know they just weren't they had some but just i don't know it was like when this mom would hear a song on the radio or something she would just go out and, and that was her trigger to go buy it when she heard like a new song, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't like she was seeking out specific artists or uh, a genre of music. But, uh, did you listen to a lot of like top 40 as a kid? You know, I, I have specific memories at some point where I kind of clicked into top 40 and specifically Casey Kasem's American top 40. Sure. That was, that was a big thing for me. When I listened to it at one point, 
I started to write down the songs every week. So I would start, I had like a spiral notebook and I would write you <laughs> you know, this week chart, and yeah. I would write 40, 39, 38 and keep track. And the next <laughs> week, write it down. Right, yeah. Such a, such a nerd. And then you could, you know, <laughs> see where songs moved or keep track of that stuff. So that was kind of my exposure to it and kind of learning who these artists were and, and getting that. I mean, when you listen to the top 40, even though it was pop music, back in the you know early 80s that was a pretty wide range of yeah. music you were hearing on there too so yeah you got everything from country to you know the last little bit of disco and uh, rock and just it was all over the place and that's what i really appreciate about that era but specifically casey Kasem's uh countdown every weekend i think it was american top 40 for a while and then as it there was some dispute i remember and he kind of broke off and then did his own thing and it was like Casey's top 40 or something. Right. Uh, anyway, dad, that's what he mainly listened to on the radio on the weekend. So I remember hearing Casey in the garage when he was out there working on something and I'd be out there playing whatever with my trucks and uh, hearing the top 40 countdown and on road trips too. So my grandparents on my dad's side lived two hours away and we'd always leave, you know, like on a Saturday morning and go up for the night and come back Sunday. And so we're always on traveling during the weekends. And during that two hours, I remember you know, like switching stations and we catch part of the countdown here in this town. And it had started at a different point in, a, in the next <laughs> town. And so, uh, we got a, a, probably the whole thing by the time we got back. And so that's a, a pretty vivid memory of listening to music back then was the, the top 40 countdown. You know, I didn't, probably start listening to the radio like in my room until maybe oh, I was about 12 or 13 years old. So like the later part of the eighties when I actually got my, you know, first boom box. And then it was, it was kind of influential in that I was uh, trying to find the stations that played Casey's countdown. And those were typically my favorite stations because they would play basically the top 40 throughout the week as well. So you'd hear those songs over again. Right. But um, what do you remember about like that early part where maybe you're getting uh, your parents or friends are buying records and tapes and maybe they're giving some to you or maybe you're listening to some over at their house. You remember any of those early memories of uh, what your siblings liked or what, you know, what your friends liked? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I always felt like, um, I don't know, I didn't follow everybody else like I kind of you know mm -hmm. didn't care what other people were listening to but you know we talked about those things and stuff and my brother's younger than me so he kind of followed in my my <laughs> kind of taste level and that type of stuff but you know I do remember it being a topic and thing we talked about especially as uh as it evolved into you know later on into music video and all that kind of stuff oh, too. Yeah. music became a bigger thing but it was, uh, it was something, I don't know if I would call it like personal or whatever, but it was more something, you know, I didn't really care about what everybody else yeah. wanted. It was like, this kind of struck a chord with me. So that's, that's <laughs> kind of what I liked. And, you know, I kind of had my own thing. That's cool. I, I was not like that. I was totally influenced by everybody around me, the neighbor kids, <laughs> and I didn't have any siblings. So you bring up a good point, which I didn't really 
put in the notes here about MTV, it always seemed to be when I'd you know spend the night or or whatever we're over uh, at the at a friend's house. It seems MTV would come up every once in a while, and we'd be watching. You know, if we're sitting in watching TV and not being outside or something, watching the videos uh, as well and putting the the pictures to words almost. Uh, so that was, yeah, I was, I remember going over to the neighbor's house. They had a, a stereo in their basement that flashed lights, like with, to the music. It was the coolest thing ever <laughs> to a, whatever, however old I was at the time, 10 or 11. And I remember them playing, um, what were they playing? <laughs> oh, it was, uh, the Rocky, uh, I of the tiger. They were playing okay. I of the tiger and, uh. <laughs> I'm just blaring at me and watching the lights and it was like being at a, a roller skating rink or something, you know, mm-hmm. it was, so I remember just loving that song. And then once I got my own radio or boom box, then I, I started that phase of trying to record songs off the radio. Do you ever go through that phase <laughs> when you finally got it, your own stereo? Yeah, for sure. I did a um, piece for the retro network back at Christmas. It was my, um, Christmas 1982 was what mm-hmm. the the year was, and that's the first year I got my first radio that had a cassette player recorder attached to it, so I could actually record things off the radio and that sort of thing. It was a it was a Panasonic RX 1230. I always remember that, even the <laughs> model number, and it was just one of that had one single cassette player on it, had an AM FM radio. Mm-hmm. So I could record, and that's one of those things where I started recording songs I liked off the radio, and you kind of sit there, and you had to push play and record at the same time, and hope that, <laughs> yeah. you know, they didn't talk too far over that's the right. start yeah. of the song yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and so you had that whole thing in there. So I talked about a little bit of that in that in that piece, and uh, but that was definitely something I did early on because, you know, I could only get so much music that i own but you could get some of these songs that you really liked off the radio so i had tons of mixtapes that i made just off of either off the casey's top 40 or or just trying to catch songs off of the normal radio yeah that's funny you can remember the the model and everything i can picture my little boom box the first one that i had with the silver buttons and it was black had one speaker one tape deck you know in the Mm -hmm. in the fm uh, radio and specifically i remember trying to tape bobby brown's my prerogative so that was probably around <laughs> 80 i think 88 or 89 late 80s right trying to get that song and trying to get it to where the dj was done talking and you hit it perfectly you know <laughs> and if you ever did it was like the heavens opened up and yes i got the song no talking you know i also remember buying i guess probably in the early 90s 90 or 91 I was at my neighborhood Ames department store that was in the mall and they had uh, some like display models out there. And I remember them putting them for sale and I bought like a two speaker that were like detachable from the boom box with the dual cassette decks, you know, mm-hmm. and I was like in heaven cause now <laughs> I can, you know, dub it had the, I think it had the high speed dubbing. So you can you borrow your friend's albums and, and make uh, tapes or just dub the whole album, you know, if you wanted to. But yeah, I remember getting the floor model. It was like on a huge discount. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I always had a boom box. And even up through college, I remember 
getting a, a different one with the CD player on top that opened yep. up, you know, from the top and uh, just taping stuff uh, from friends. And well, we'll get into the mixtape kind of side of that. But <laughs> going back a little bit to listening to uh, music with friends, my neighborhood friend, Tim, I remember him having a record player in his room, which was like a big deal. And he specifically uh, had the uh, 45 for the Spies Like Us theme. And <laughs> we we loved that. And he had an older sister. So he would go into her room when she wasn't around or something, like steal tapes from her to, for us to listen to. So I, that's like the first time I remember listening to Def Leppard's uh, Hysteria was he grabbed that from his sister. And then he also introduced me to Run DMC. His sister had Raising Hell. And so I got all kinds of different uh, music at the time. And again, a lot of that was influenced from my friends. Yeah. Um, my brother and I, for Christmas one year, so 1982, I got that little radio. A couple of years later, together, we got a combined gift for our, we shared a bedroom at that time. So we got a shared stereo. It was one of those, oh, nice. you know, stacked ones where you had a record player and uh-huh. then you had a, cassette deck level and they kind of stacked up with a little bit larger speakers and that sort yep. of thing um so we had one of those with the dual cassettes all the stuff you were talking about where we nice. could copy copy cassettes record record albums that kind of stuff and we had yeah. that in our room as well so that's when we really started to uh listen to more music that's what i found i don't know maybe about five or six years ago a couple streets over they were having a yard sale and I found one of those that was all stacked up in the middle, and there's some storage down below for <laughs> albums. And it had the the two huge speakers, and yep. I was like an instant buy. I don't care how much you're selling this for, lady. I'll, <laughs> I'll take it. You know, I didn't even try to haggle her. I was like, I want it, and I still have that. And that's what I listen to. You know, when I'm when I clip my vinyl and my my book and records. Uh, do you remember the first one, first record or cassette, maybe that you purchased with your own money? I know in that same piece and. I talked about my first album that I got was Prince's 1999, Mm. but it wasn't with my own money. It would have been my mom still buying it at that time. I don't remember at one point where I like went to a store by myself and bought a record for Mm. the first time or something like that. I got a lot as gifts a lot of times where, uh, you know, got things that way. I don't have a specific memory of buying stuff. I think, my first one was Prince 1999. Then shortly after that, I know I got Men at Work. Um, Cargo <laughs> was my, I oh, believe my yeah. second album that I got. I did get into start getting into rap music um, and early. So one of my first records was actually the Run DMC's first album, which mm-hmm. um, had been out, I believe it was 1984 when I bought that. So um that was one of my first ones as well. That I'm not sure if that was one of the first ones I purchased myself or not, but something that just kind of came to mind. Did your parents ever get on to you about what you were listening to or anything? You know, not too much. I had friends whose parents really um were were big onto that. My parents never it's not that they didn't care. I think they thought we were mature enough to handle it or whatever. But I know uh one year one of my friends wanted a particular album it was um the time ice cream castle was the the album and it was a explicit lyrics kind of album you know like Mm -hmm. that and 
he wanted that for his birthday. So I told my mom, this is what he wants. We went and got it. And his parent or his mom was so mad at my mom for buying that record for him because it, <laughs> because it was like explicit or whatever. Yeah. It had a couple songs that had some words, which nowadays would probably not even raise an eyebrow. But back then, yeah. some of those uh, things caught people's attention. But yeah, I, you know, I list, like I said, my first album was 1999 by Prince and I was like, you know, nine or 10 years old. So the fact that my parents were willing to buy that for me <laughs> at that point um, was pretty, pretty yeah. trusting, I guess. Yeah. Th- m- mine had no, I wouldn't say they, they didn't care, but they, right. th- they had no filter. So as long as I wasn't, uh, it wasn't really explicit lyrics. I had to run in later uh, in life. <laughs> after buying a cassette and listening to it on the way home. But my first cassette was raising hell. I remember listening to it at Tim's house and then going and buying the cassette with my own money at the record store. And mom was with me. So yeah, I blared run DMC out of my room. And then later I think it was, well, I remember a friend of my mom's at the time. My, my mom and dad were divorced and he came over and it was my birthday. I think mom had given him some tips on what to buy me. And he w- we went out and bought a couple albums. Well, he bought MC Hammer's, I think it's Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him, the one with Can't Touch This and All Pray and all that stuff. He mm-hmm. bought that one and he bought Vanilla Ice to the extreme. <laughs> I got that on one birthday and really opened my eyes to like music sampling and cover songs and and that type of thing you know because that was about that time was it became huge when he got into that little dispute and said it was different you know with uh <laughs> queen and david bowie song and uh he you know he's like you know that song is a, a ripoff or something and when he gave it to me you know it's like here's your <laughs> present you know that song's a ripoff <laughs> kind of <laughs> passing and that kind of opened my eyes to to that whole side of you know, music and everything. But, uh, yeah, as far as I know, mom would bought me, uh, singles to songs that I, she knew I liked. Like I remember having, uh, the ghostbusters theme on a 45 and, and playing that at a birthday party. Like when we were playing like musical chairs and I was, yeah. I got to be the DJ and lift up the needle, you know, when the music stopped <laughs> and it was, I remember playing ghostbusters using that 45 for that little game. But yeah, I, it wasn't until probably like the later eighties we'll get into about, uh, you know, when our collections start going and, and what we kind of collected then. But, uh, so you, did you do any dubbing from your friend's collection for your own, or did you just go out and, and did you have the means to, to buy a lot of albums right off the bat? Um, I didn't do as much. Like I did do some uh, definitely once in a while, but I always wanted the actual thing. So I would always try and like, if I really wanted something that I would try to find a way to get it, or, you know, that mm-hmm. would be the next thing I tried to save up for, or ask for, for a, for a gift or something like that. But I did copy or dub some other people's music and that sort of thing, but it, I did it a lot more for other people. So I, I think <laughs> I was more the supplier than the, <laughs> the person who was, uh, getting the benefit out of it i always have people come and say hey can you copy that for me and you know just (laughs) cracking open one of the things i i remember is you know just those 
blank cassette tapes and all the different brands, but just, oh, gosh, yeah. you know, that smell when you crack open the plastic on that and open yeah. one of those up for the first time, it's like one of those smells that I always will remember. Oh yeah. And they had like different ploys to, to lure you in, you know, some had the nice stickers to put on there and some had even like liner notes that you could add. Most of them did, but some didn't, it just depended on the brand. And, mm-hmm. uh, in the mid nineties, Towards my college years, I remember they went a little slim with the cases and they had these nice little CD images that were uh, almost lenticular. <laughs> and yep. they just kind of lure you in on, oh, these are the best quality that you're going to get. And <laughs> anyway, I remember dubbing a few things. It, the dubs were only good for, they had a shelf life because you got to the point where. You know, some of the the album or, or certain songs that you would always go back to the the tape, you could hear clicking and all kinds of stuff. At least I, you know, I probably mm-hmm. got the crappy quality tapes, but they had a shelf life. So it, I was kind of specific with what I was dubbing and, and stuff, probably more in the high school years. And one kind of quirky thing, you know, I, again, I was all over the place with music and even like comedy albums. So... My pal Wyatt and I, he loved comedy albums, and we would listen to, like, I remember listening to Jeff Foxworthy's first two albums in his car, <laughs> and I remember dubbing those, and those were great on road trips. We listened to the uh, the Redneck, whatever, you might be a Redneck If, and then I think the next one was Games Rednecks Play. It was, like, right around the, the Olympics in uh, Atlanta. And I dubbed those two albums. Uh, he had some Andrew Dice Clay and Cheech and Chong and... Ray Stevens, uh, one of our favorites was, uh, the, the Bob Rivers twisted Christmas album. We couldn't get enough of that. So there was a lot of those comedy albums too, that I remember specifically dubbing those ones because they, you know, there was some of them were music oriented, but others weren't. And I don't know, it seemed to work out a little bit better when you dub those over versus just straight album music albums. But yeah, I went through that whole phase of, (laughs) of comedy and, Oh God, we'll still spout lines at each other uh, on the <laughs> phone. But do you remember ever making mixtapes like to send to your friends specifically or, or for a girl or for, you know, somebody you're trying to impress and here's my mixtape, you know? Yeah. Mixtapes was one of my moves with the, with the ladies. <laughs> that was one where you pull out some of the, the love songs and, and make that. I, I feel like most people probably think this, but I kind of, became pretty good at creating a mixtape over the years and you know i was still making mixtapes uh my wife and i met in college and i actually gave her a mixtape as one of the the first things i gave her was a mixtape nice (laughs) but uh yeah i think there's an art to it i think of of picking the right songs in the right order and and all those things and having having it Oh yeah, that flow together the right way and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I definitely did that. You know, not as much for friends. Sometimes it would be, you know, maybe taking some songs that somebody might like and put them on a tape form or something like that. Mm-hmm. But not like as a gift or anything like that. But with the ladies, that was uh, that was always a good move. <laughs> I remember like uh, just giving away some of my old mixtapes that i made for myself to people here I'm, not, I'm done with this you go ahead and see if you like this one uh but you're right there was like an art form too i never tried to do that with the ladies but 
I remember making them, and if you get a song that ends on a certain note and the next song starts with that same note and they kind of flow together, you're like, whoa, that was incredible. <laughs> and, you know, when a certain song would fade out and then the next song started with like a fade in and you made it sound like the radio or something, it was just glorious. So, yeah, yeah there's definitely you know, like an art form to it. I worked for a radio station in like 1994, 95. And I remember the FM side, there's AM and FM there. They subscribed to a service that would send in like the latest songs on CD. So when I was there at night or maybe on the weekends, I would sneak into the, uh, the FM room and just grab whatever latest CDs they had and start going through them, seeing what songs I like, and then head over to the production room and start making mixtapes with uh, all the new music. So it was the greatest thing ever working for a radio station and you got all this free music, you know, yeah. <laughs> that you could uh, uh, make mixtapes for or send to friends, you know, hey, have you heard this song or this song? And uh, I'll, just, I'll just give you the whole, you know, all the new ones and <laughs> sending, you know, give give somebody a mixtape that way. So that was like an in that I had to all the new music working for a station. Yeah. Um, and that's it. You got to remember again, we, I bring this up a lot and everybody kind of brings it up, but that was at a time when you, you didn't really have the web to search for stuff. You didn't have a YouTube right. to find stuff. You, you had to hear stuff by listening to the radio or watching MTV or that's how you heard new music or somebody gave you a tape or a, uh, CD or something like that. Yeah. That's how you heard new music. It wasn't like you got something sent to you on online or you were able to go through YouTube or something like that. Right. And that's the lost art of singles too, because that's how you knew how a new album would, was coming out. They would release yep. a single a couple months in advance. Yep. And, and that was the whole anticipation. Oh my gosh, Michael Jackson has a new album coming out. And he's, you know, I'm, I'm listening to, I don't know, whatever, what, what, whatever the first single was off of Thriller. But, uh, you know, you think about that and uh, how many singles that he made out of that one album. I think like the whole album is singles <laughs> practically. Uh, yeah. Plus they got to double, they got to sell all those singles. And then once the album came out, all those people went back and bought the album too. <laughs> right. Yeah. And now they had the single <laughs> and the album. Yeah. My mom was the the only exception of that because she never bought the album. She just kept the <laughs> singles and kept playing the songs that she liked and knew she liked. But still, that was, yeah, I mean, that was like a lost art back then of pre-releasing a single and getting your fans, you know, hyped to do that. Because like you said, there was no web. There was no way to know unless you heard a DJ mention it or you heard that song. You're like, oh, this is new. Uh I've never heard this before. Oh, they got a new album coming out. You know, I got to save up my money and <laughs> go get it when it comes out. Or but. One of the things we did, I don't know if you did it, you'd go to like the record store and you'd go through and flip through the records and look That's at right. stuff yeah. and be like, oh, I, I, I didn't know this was out. Or you would, right? You yeah. Know, some of them had listening stations where you could go listen to something before you bought it or um, you might. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, like something that an artist came out with now and also you go flip back and realize they had, you know, that was like their third or fourth album. So yeah, yeah if you, you know, like that, you go back and check something else out. Absolutely. And, and that's a good transition is we're going to kind of talk about our, our record stores where we bought our music and things, but 
uh, very good. There's a certain amount of discovery that you don't get just searching on Spotify or Google or whatever <laughs> that you got just staring it out. I and mean, it's like the rental stores back in the day when you're trying <laughs> to find a movie to watch and maybe all of the ones that you want to watch are renting out and you just start looking at album covers. You start looking at VHS, you know, covers to find your next yeah. thing. And sometimes you pull one that you just have no idea what this is. It looks cool. Let's uh, let's check it out. Let's pop it in if they have a station to play it, you know. And and the lost art of the employee too, of knowing. All right, I have no idea what this is. Tell me about it. You know, right. <laughs> and they handed it to him. So anyway, what do you remember? Like your local uh, record stores, or where did you buy your music from? There were a couple places. So there was like. The mall record store was obviously one of them. In our market, the one that we had for most of the time was called Musicland. Mm-hmm. And it was basically just the typical mall setup music store. I think it was similar to like Sam Goody, that type of store. So you had that, that setup. But then you also had kind of like the cooler, hipper record store that had, like you said, the the people working there that yeah. knew about music and stuff like that so we had a record store that was close to our house i remember um it was called mainstream records and that was like a kind of an independent record shop and that was where they had a little more off the beaten path stuff they had bigger um at the time when i was liking rap music they had a much larger rap music selection there mm-hmm. versus some of the more mainstream stores would have or it was called mainstream but you know, like the mall store had limited right, stuff right. in some of the genres. Yeah, and even like department stores too, because I remember going through like Kmart and Ames and mm-hmm. some of the ones that were local to me, those those department stores were always limited. So it was always cool. We had a record store in the mall, our little strip mall, that uh, I think at one point moved to a different location not too far away. And that was mainly the the cassette era for me. I, I wasn't really I don't remember buying much vinyl uh, myself. It was mainly you know when we were still when mom was buying her forty fives and things, and then when she got to we got to cassettes, she was buying singles, uh, and I was buying cassettes as well. So I remember going into the record store and buying cassettes. And you remember those like long plastic cases that they came in that you had to like, open with the key? That. Yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. The anti-theft the, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like that long. It was encased in plastic and it was long too. And then the employee had like a key to open it up and pop out the actual cassette, yeah. you know. And I remember having like those little uh, special like little opening tools that had like a little small razor or something that you'd slit along the side of your cassette or eventually CD as well. They would have them to easily open them up from the plastic, you know, and one of the cool things was some of that stuff, like uh, this was even on vinyl, but in cassettes, sometimes the liners, liner notes would include the lyrics to the song or have something special in there other than just a list of the songs. So sometimes you, you wouldn't know till you open that thing up and you pulled that out and saw that it folded out to like, Oh gosh, you yeah. know, like three feet long fold yeah. out that had all the songs lyrics in there and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like Fletch, you know, showing all of his uh, <laughs> IDs <laughs> or yeah. somebody with their kids' pictures, you know, that it was just 
flop it out from their wallet. But yeah, when that happened, it just kept folding forever, unfolding, unfolding, <laughs> unfolding. You're like, oh my god, this is awesome. You got all the lyrics on here, and and you know some of the credits and everything just to look through as you're listening to the tape. Yeah, the, I I don't know Th- that particular store is what I associate those those plastic cases with. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, now here's another big question: Did you ever subscribe to like music services, Columbia House, BMG, when that all went down? What it was, I guess Columbia House had been around for a while, even probably the early '80s or maybe late '70s. But towards that late '80s, early '90s era is when all that blown up and. You know, it was 20 CDs for a penny. And <laughs> did you ever I never subscribe? joined until CDs. So, like, I never joined back in the 80s, really, when it was more of cassettes and things mm-hmm. like that. I did join multiple times in the once they got to the CD area. And uh, I heard you just talking about this on. Uh, the run-in with uh, uh-huh. Kevin where you kind of use that to stock up on all the greatest hits CDs. And mm-hmm. that was something that I had done too, where I had gone back and got a lot of greatest hits stuff through Columbia house. And I don't know if I ever did BMG or not, but I know I did Columbia house multiple times. <laughs> yeah. We had, uh, we were subscribed to Columbia house, the music and the video club too. At one point, oh. I remember, uh, doing both of those just so we could stock up and, and start creating like our own home library, me and mom and, uh, Columbia house, essentially the one that got me. And it was like you said, it was during the CD era when that first start hit and CD was the thing and it was the best quality and better than cassette. And, uh, a lot of people got into CD a lot earlier than I did, but it was mainly that early nineties eras when I started collecting CDs I remember coming home from like college and mom handing me like the bill, like the, the Columbia house keeps sending this to us, you know, and I keep getting these seat. Are you ordering Celine Dion? You know, whatever. I'm like, no, send it back, you know, whatever. Cause I think there was like a grace period where you could, if you didn't want the one that they sent you, you could send it back and maybe trade it for another. I'm, I'm trying to remember how that whole thing worked because you were subscribed for, you know, you got, 20 for a penny but you're paying like 25 bucks for new <laughs> ones that came to and you, you had know, to buy like so many and, and you so had to buy like months. four or five yeah yeah so i remember mom getting mad at me a couple times about the bills from columbia house and uh, i don't even remember what happened to that <laughs> we ended up you know <laughs> finally canceling or or what happened because again that was when i was at home and in transition i finally went off to college and then I, I probably got canceled <laughs> after that or had to tell them to stop sending me stuff what about like uh the tv ads you remember all those like time life collections and some of those crazy compilation albums that they were trying to to uh get you to buy on tv yeah again i remember those commercials because they were on a lot during you know our afternoon tv watching they would have those in there like uh spirit rock and some of those yeah. things you know is that with... freedom rock man <laughs> turn it up you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly um i oh, never God. i never bought any until there is a uh there was a couple that that i got later on that um i believe i might have been in college at the time where they were more like uh 
compilations of like mm-hmm. soft rock love song type things that I could go back and use on those mixtapes we talked about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I never, um, I never specifically remember ordering you know, from uh, a phoning in and giving a credit card or something. Cause right. those would eventually come back around to stores and things. Cause that's where I picked up a couple that I still have. Uh, but I was big into compilation albums again, like you were saying, and like I mentioned on uh, the hot tag, I was all about the greatest hits and mm-hmm. all the compilations and stuff, getting as much, many of the singles and popular songs that I knew uh, on CD. So uh, one that got me first, I remember, was Pure Moods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was released around 97 or there was a re-release in 97. I think that's the one that I have that they added the X-Files theme to, but it was like Enya and uh, just some of these crazy uh, new wave or new, uh, whatever you want to call it, type bands on there and and themes and kind of techno, but still ambient, you know, kind of stuff. That was a a crazy album. I remember getting that, I think mainly for the X-Files theme that I think about it. Uh, (laughs) The other one that got me that... um, they did commercials, a lot of commercials for, or at least over and over again, was Monster Ballads. Yep. And that came out in 99. And I got, they had a double album that they advertised on TV, but I've got the single uh, disc album. And it's all like uh, just rock ballads, uh, everything from Def Leppard to Winger to, you know, I mean, just <laughs> crazy, you know, power yeah, ballads, a- poison, you know, and, <laughs> Uh, all there's all there's uh, all their ballads was on one album, and I just remember wearing that one out mm-hmm. when I got that at college, and then later on, just I don't know. I, I, I remember I my roommate this. had a jock rock that was, oh, yes, I think it yes, might have been have, ESPN. Mm-hmm. I have those, there's two of them there's jock rock and jock jams. Mm-hmm. I have, I still have those two cassettes actually, so. <laughs> Those were great too. They pumped in like crowd music and little uh, cheers and stuff in between the songs, and uh, very fun. MTV put out some compilations too. I remember having a couple of those in the earlier '90s that were like rap and dance. It was like MTV Party to Go. I think it was what yeah. it was. That that, uh, that is what it was. Those were uh, those were great too. So, okay, so just uh, switching gears again a little bit and, and moving forward in, in the time frame, uh, how has your collection changed over the year? Did you try to convert, like, the cassettes that you own to CD? Did you try to keep both? Or, you know, how did, how did it, uh, how's it looked over the years as you've been collecting music? I would say I converted most stuff to CD at one point, um, or I tried to get, I might not have gotten the same album, but I would have like the greatest hits like we talked mm-hmm. about that might have had like the songs that I really wanted from that album on it. So I tried to get everything I wanted on CD. Um, I I kept a lot of my cassettes, even though I didn't really listen to them. I kind of kept some of that stuff, but I um, converted to CD mostly a funny thing is that I still have all the CDs too, even though I haven't listened to a CD. <laughs> I can't tell you the last time, but I just don't have the heart to get rid of the thing. So I have a one of those giant multi 
shelf racks just jam full of all this great music. And once in a while, my daughter will mention something like, oh, I was listening to this band or something like that. And I'll go down and I'll pull out like five or six CDs and say, here, these are yeah. all that same band. Go listen to this. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this, Dad? Um, oh, God. So, but yeah, I, I did uh, try to move on to CD just because it was, it had kind of the, you know, the better quality. It was, you could skip around to the songs you wanted to, right. as you wanted to. You and, had those uh, hidden tracks too. I always loved oh, that yeah. when they, when they did a hidden track, either it was a really long last track that they would, you know, wait like two minutes and then hit you with another song or like Dave Matthews band. Yep. Um, That's the one I remember. Yeah. Whatever their first one was, it was song, whatever it was, 45 or 43 can't remember but it would you just it freaked you out at first you're like it kept skipping skipping and you're like how many tracks are on this thing <laughs> and you realize that there's like all these dead tracks in between the last song and then you know that that uh numbered song that's on the end of the album uh that was the craziest thing but i just uh, literally last night went through i've got two big cd cases like the zipper cases that you open up and you've got the sleeves in there that you can put the liner notes on one side and then the disc on the other. And my son's car that we bought him has a CD player in it. Uh, I don't listen to many CDs or, or much in the van when we're traveling and stuff. We usually, sometimes I'll put on like uh, Amazon Prime Music or whatever through the, through the stereo um, with our little uh, adapter. But once we got his car, I, I got those out. And some of my old mix CDs that I had laying around, those have been in there since we got in the car. But just last night, I popped in uh, like the Joshua Tree and uh, pulled out a couple other CDs that I had hadn't listened to in a while. And I've been on my commute back and forth to work. I, I feel like I'm in like high school or college, you know, <laughs> with all those uh, CDs stacked in there anymore. But I've always tried to keep my albums and have a method to play them over the years. Even now, like... Well, I told you about my stereo, but my Sony Walkman, I had that and it was working up until like last year. And I felt so, I felt like the old man in the Christmas story with his lamp, you know, I wanted to bury it in the backyard when it <laughs> died. I, I took that on so many like basketball trips in high school and uh, yeah. just, I, it was, I don't know. It was like a part of me died when that <laughs> Walkman died, <laughs> but I, I've, I've kept my cassettes too. And, uh, and my CDs just over the years on, I, I don't know. I just like having the, the physical, you know, the physical copy laying around. And yeah, there's something to me, like, you know, I have so much stuff on digital now, but it's like something about it. And it's like, you know, you can't really sell them for much. So they're not really worth anything. Yeah, to right. me. If you're not going to get much, I might as well just hold on to them. And that's kind of the <laughs> that's way. Right. Been, yeah. And you can find them for cheap. Go I ahead. did have my record album. So for a long time, I still bought records, even though like it was kind of during the cassette era, but I was still buying some vinyl primarily because you could always record it onto a cassette tape and then you could have both. And mm -hmm. it was so much easier to skip to certain songs on the record versus, uh, you know, on a cassette where you had to fast forward and do all that kind of stuff. So I was still buying a lot of vinyl and had a really nice collection stuff and I kept it all and had it in my parents' house. And at one point, my brother must have been deciding, you know, he's not going to use those. So he went and took them to a store and, and sold them. Sold oh, most no. Of them. Oh, and no. 
I still, it still kills me that some of those that he got rid of, I've replaced a couple of them and I've been kind of, you know, gradually, if I come across one that, you know, has a lot of sentimental value, I'll try and still go back and get some vinyl. But, um, but I lost most of my vinyl, but I still have a good chunk of my cassette tapes. I do have, like I said, the CDs. Um, Uh I do have a bunch of singles, which I know you collect and I was going to, go through and take a couple pictures and see if there's any that you wanted. Oh, I would, yes, I would be forever grateful (laughs) (laughs) because yeah, there are, there's some, like I got most of mom's, um, I I just kind of kept them as she moved from place to place and didn't listen to them anymore. I preserved them in other words, and I still have some of those, but there's some that I remember having that I've, lost over the years just with moves and everything that I'd love to get back. And I I've been looking, I'd like to buy in bulk (laughs) just to (laughs) save money and not necessarily search out specific things, but I would love to look through. Yes, absolutely. There's like what I did with singles a lot of time was, you know, try to find that hidden gem. Like, so if I knew I liked an artist, I would just go buy the whole album if that was available or whatever. But Mm -hmm. if it was somebody I wasn't sure about or, you know, something I wanted to maybe find something that I would like, that's where I bought a lot of the singles. So some of the singles I have are like artists that I look back now and say, I don't remember even the artists (laughs) that well, but you know, it's like, Hey, I gave them a chance, you know, for 99 cents or whatever they charged for a a single. You could, if you liked it, it was a great thing. If not, it wasn't. It wasn't a huge loss. Yeah, you weren't out a whole, you know, buying a whole album. Like, oh, gosh, why did I buy this whole thing? There's like two songs I like on it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm, people all the time are, you know, when I, I post stuff online, I post uh, some, a few singles that I bought, and I've had people ask me, you know, why did, why do you like these things? What are so appealing <laughs> about one song, you know? Uh, the real appeal to me is finding those ones that had a different version Either there's a remix on side B, uh, or maybe a couple remixes, or there's that B-side song that we used to get back in the day that just wasn't on anything, wasn't on any album, and you find some really cool music that way while you're waiting for the, you know, if you had auto-reverse, you were cool, because, you know, the cassette (laughs) would just flip back over and and go the other way, but instead of fast-forwarding or rewinding back to hear the song again... I always listen to the second side as well. And a lot of times it's just the instrumental, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the Bobby Brown, uh, on your own single that I have one side is the radio edit that cuts out the rap. And the other side is, has the rap in the middle, mm-hmm. which is kind of dumb, but you know, but there's other so like live tracks too, that oh. I have on, uh, some of the, like I've got the ACDC, uh, big gun, single that was from the the uh last action hero soundtrack and on the other side is this awesome live version of back in black that i don't know if it, i'm sure it's probably been released by now but at the time i was like oh this is awesome i'm getting a i, I didn't mind live music and getting a track like that you're I, 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 that's what the appeal was to me buying singles is finding those ones like that there's a remix you remember the song uh by emf um Unbelievable. 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 There was a, (laughs) 
there was at least one, maybe two remixes on that B side. One that I liked better than the actual song. <laughs> I would <laughs> I would specifically go to the remix on the side B just to get that uh, that crazy remix that they had on there. So yeah, that was I don't know. That's my kind of appeal to that. So um, moving on here, I'm I'm looking. I still got a lot of notes and lots of stuff written down here. <laughs> I think what we're gonna do. We had something planned for after hours, but uh, let's go through one more little thing here, and then we'll finish the conversation on after hours. How about that? Whatever you want. Okay. Well, the next thing I, I briefly wanted to talk about was uh, your setup in the car. So, what was your what was your car setup like when you when you bought your first car? Did you have uh, just cassette in there? Did you have CD? A CD player, I guess you're probably more in the cassette era range when you got your first car, right? Yeah. So the first car I drove myself had an AM only radio in it. <laughs> that was that was <laughs> it. So sometimes we'd carry like a boombox along with you know, crazy. eight, eight D cell batteries to <laughs> operate it or whatever it took to be able to listen to other music. <laughs> But then uh, you were cool, man. Wow. Boombox in the front seat. But then uh, my next car had a uh, AM FM radio with a cassette player in it. So that took me to a whole different level. And that's when you start having to carry a little bit of a music selection Mm -hmm. with you in the car. But I was always paranoid, like stuff like I didn't want to split it. So a lot of times I would create either a copy of a cassette or a mixtape or something like that to keep in the car and keep my originals in my, in my house. I got you. Yeah. One of the uh, most influential albums or, well, it was a compilation album when I was young was when we bought our, we bought a Monte Carlo around 80, 85, 86, maybe in that era. And it was a few years old at that point. But, and we bought it from a Ford dealer actually, <laughs> uh, <laughs> used. So they, you know, they had all a variety of cars in their used section. But we got the Ford factory cassette that was whatever that came out that year. And so I think it was around the, the cassette must have been a little bit older than what the actual car was or, or when we bought it because. It had uh, the Star Wars theme. Uh, it had the Empire theme and the, you know, just the regular Star Wars theme. It had two Holland Oates songs on it. It had Man Eater and One on One. It <laughs> had uh, Sweet Dreams or Made of This by the Eurythmics. Um, what else was on there? There was, it was just like this crazy compilation because you hear Star Wars and then you go to Maneater and then you go to <laughs> Sweet Dreams and then you flip it over and you get Star Wars again. You get another slow song by the, I mean, it was all over the place. But I remember listening to that, popping that in mainly for Star Wars, probably, you know, <laughs> at the time as a kid. But the other songs too were very influential. So, those factory cassettes, maybe people remember those factory cassettes that they used to to bring along, but that was uh, very influential to me. And by the time I got my first car, my first car was a 1990 Pontiac 6000. It had a cassette deck with auto reverse, which was nice. So I didn't have to always flip and rewind and do all that while you're driving. Uh, I, I bought that around 94-ish, and then I, I bought a Discman. 
Yeah. <laughs> when what uh, that cassette? Did you have the cassette oh, adapter yes, where you yes. could plug it into well, the no, cassette? I had the uh, I had the little tuner, the FM tuner. So you plugged in the uh, the tuner to your your discman. You plugged it into the cigarette lighter, and then it went through like a uh, blank FM station. You, you find a, okay. a station where there wasn't one, yep. and it played through your radio. So that mine was my setup. A, mine yeah. had an adapter that was an actual cassette tape. Right. It had yeah. like a cord attached to it. And then you would put it into the cassette player, you know, because those didn't go all the way in. They kind of that's like right. Yeah. Messed up. And it played through the cassette player somehow. Yeah. The, the CD I, that this those man did. As well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, the, you know, I had a pillow in the front seat and everything. <laughs> it didn't matter what I did, it always skipped. You know, you go over <laughs> a little bump and you're, it's skipping. And, Ah, uh, it just it got to the point where I'm like, screw this! I'm just gonna dub my CDs onto cassettes and play cassettes because I was sick of the thing jumping every time you hit a little bump in the road, you know. And mm-hmm. up in Pennsylvania, you know, you get those rough winters. I'm sure you're aware of this. You, mm-hmm. These potholes come out of nowhere when in spring, <laughs> after <laughs> scraping the roads and everything. So it, it wasn't, uh, you know, my area at least was not ever freshly paved and. It was just a nightmare trying to play a discman in your car. But after I I wrecked that car in college and I went back a little bit in time, I had an 88 Isuzu pickup that I bought with the insurance money after I, well, after I was in a wreck. Um, It wasn't my fault, so I got to kind of take the money and run. Anyway, it was retrofitted with a CD player and had those like magnetic speakers back behind the the bench seat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I've at one point I eventually upgraded those, but I, it was like the greatest thing. I was, oh my gosh, I got a CD player in here that doesn't skip when you hit a bump, you know. <laughs> and then uh, here's another fun thing. Just uh, after I got married, we got married in 2000. My wife had a little 93 Honda Civic and only had a tape deck in it. And I remember as late as like 2004 when she was pregnant, I gave her my brand new truck because the Honda's air was out. I was like, I don't want her. She's <laughs> miserable. <laughs> I don't want her driving around town, not having any air conditioning in the car. So I made the sacrifice. What a good husband and future father would do is give her my brand new truck with nicely cool air conditioning. And I took the Honda that didn't have it. So at that point I, I'm, I'm back to cassette and it was on the cusp of the digital era about that time with Napster and all that stuff. So I had music on mp3 so i'm grabbing the mp3s from napster i'm burning that with our gateway computer onto a cd i'm taking that cd and going to a little boom box that we had to put it on cassette so i could listen to new music in the car <laughs> is that not nuts man <laughs> what we do for our music what we do for music man oh my god <laughs> i just i it blows my mind that i did that and you know that's how I got into Coldplay. Well, that that was when they started blowing up, and that uh, their first and second album I think was out at the time, and I wanted to listen to. It. I'm like, I, I I gotta go from this to this to this to this to be able to listen to it in the car when I want to. You know, it was crazy. <laughs> anyway, I had to tell that little <laughs> story. Did you keep like a stash? You, you said you mainly kept the your dubbed cassettes and stuff in the car you didn't keep your original albums or have any uh setup where you had a like uh i know some people that had like an you know six or a 10 disc player in their trunk that they could throw (laughs) discs in and 
and do that yeah. while they're going down the road. I never had I that. I remember kind of when stuff. that first came out when people had those disc changers in their trunk and you'd have to get out of your car to change, change the music. <laughs> but um, no, back then, I, I until I got a CD player, but even when I got a CD player, I did kind of what you were describing where I would actually du- like create some mixed CDs or copies of CDs and things mm-hmm. like that. But I would kind of keep those going. And But yeah, that's yeah. pretty much it. Okay. Yeah, I had a handful that I'd left in the car. Uh, Huey Lewis Sports was one. Van Halen's 84, 1984. Nice. Uh, ZZ Top's Greatest Hits. And uh, I was huge into Phil Collins at the time, too. So the, the Both Sides album. Those four I remember mainly keeping in the car. And those were like my go-tos when I was you know out and about. But it would change from time to time, like you said, when... Uh, you were burning stuff and uh, dubbing and burning, <laughs> I guess you would say. Uh, yep. Once I got the truck too that had the CD player. But all right, well, th- I'm gonna just gonna we're gonna pause here for a minute. We're getting kind of long here as we uh, normally record for the time machine. So what we're gonna do is we're just gonna pause our evolution of music. Hope you've enjoyed what we've been talking about uh, up to this point. <laughs> And uh, will want to join us for After Hours. We're going to finish up my evolution of music. We're going to talk about kind of the uh, our first concerts. We're going to get into some stuff like that and radio stations and kind of finish up with the early days of digital music and how we felt about that and, and kind of where leading up to where we are today with music and how we consume music. But this has been fun so far, man. I can't wait to finish out what we're going to do here. And uh, we'll jump back in the time machine real quick, head back to the present time, and uh, tell you, well, we already told you what's coming up on After Hours, but we're going <laughs> to end the show, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back over on After Hours later today. All right, well, we hope you uh, enjoyed our uh, part one of our journey as we uh, we'll go through the evolution of music. I uh, hope it struck a few chords. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hopefully you uh, you remember some experiences. Maybe it stirred up some memories of your own. We'd love to hear those this week. Over on Twitter, at Tier on Social, and our personal accounts, I'm at RD80s. Tim is at OldSchool80s. We'd love to get your take uh, as, as hopefully some of this we were discussing uh, opened up a few memories for you. If you haven't had a chance yet, please subscribe to the Retro Network Time Machine over on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can also rate us if uh, you haven't yet. would love to get uh, your rating on that. Help us uh, move up the charts, get some uh, new listeners. And then, like I said, coming up for After Hours, we're going to go into Part 2 and uh, and finish up uh, more of the modern day and, and I want to talk about concerts too. I know you've been to some concerts and mentioned some on uh, other podcasts as well. And uh, just talk about experiencing music live as we uh, finish up our evolution of music discussion here. So thanks for joining me, Tim. I'm happy to be here. Happy to keep Mickey's seat warm for a week. And um, it was fun as always. And we'll, uh, we'll continue. Like I said, we'll continue the conversation with Tim over on After Hours on Patreon. Hope you'll join us there. But if you don't, until next week, for Tim, it's Jason here, and we'll see you in time.
Yeah, I kept scrolling and scrolling. I'm like, oh, shoot, we haven't got that. Oh, shoot, we haven't got to that yet. I'm going to talk about that for a while. So, yeah, we'll just we'll just skip that whole, <laughs> whole thing I was going to do. We'll save that for another time if we need it. All right. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.